0: The rest of us, we're going to be in God's Word this morning in the Bible in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to go ahead and open it and turn to Romans chapter 12. And uh, as you're finding Romans 12, or perhaps once you find it, you can join me and we'll ask God to help us to not only understand, but that He would soften our hearts that we might be moldable and shapeable even under His Word. So pray with me if you would. Once again, we come to you, Lord, asking for your guidance and for your help. Uh, Having opened your word, we need your spirit to bring conviction, for your spirit to bring uh, light so that we might understand, so that we might comprehend, to see the glory of Christ and to see the great hope uh, that you've given to us in Christ. And so please help us, help us to learn. Uh, For those who are yet to understand the gospel, help them to perhaps even do that today during our time in your word and for those who do understand the gospel that they would understand it better so that they might be moved to live for the glory of Christ in a way that they aren't currently we ask all these things in the name of Jesus amen all right well if i were to ask you about what christian or ask you what christianity is about at its most basic basic level You're going to tell me that Christianity at its most basic, fundamental level is about the work of Christ, right? Christianity 101, the very foundation for everything, it's about what someone else has done for us in our place, It's about how Jesus, that's why we call it good news, right? Jesus did what we ourselves don't do and don't have the ability to do. That he came, that he obeyed the law of God perfectly. That he gave himself up to die a sinner's death even though he wasn't a sinner. And he did that for us to atone for our sins perfectly. And that he victoriously rose again from the grave on our behalf so that we might have new life. We call it the gospel, the good news, because it is good news that he did all of this for us. So it's not up to us to do these things. But that sort of brings up the question. It begs the question, what do we do? What do we respond? If it's all of Christ, then what is what is the, the fitting response? And It's all over the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament. But in Romans, we've seen it again and again and again. The fitting response is the response of faith, trust, dependence, which itself is not a work. We're we're seeing that Christ has done all of the work and and we're, we're clinging to him. We're trusting in him for our righteousness. Romans makes that clear, so clear. But then another question comes. This is the question before us. Then what? Then what do we do? The good news is Christ did it all, and we're just depending upon him, trusting in him. That's what it means to be a Christian. But but now what do I do for the rest of my life? What do we do if it's all of Christ? And Romans 12 really starts answering that question. Here's a way to simplify things. Romans 1 to 11, all of what Christ has done. He gets all of the glory, salvation is of the Lord. And then in Romans 12, really it's answering the question in 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. How should we respond? And we learn in the first couple of verses, we respond by worshiping. We respond with gratitude. We are so thankful for what he has done. And then he moves on to explain how our whole life now, whether it 's how you interact with other people who aren 't Christians, people who are Christians, whether you interact with the government, whether you interact with strong Christians, weak Christians, no matter who you interact with, no matter how you uh, what you 're facing, your whole life is now an act of worship it 's all out of gratitude for what Christ has done. There you go. there it is, but in Romans twelve, the very first issue of How do you live in a certain way in light of the gospel? Under the shadow of the cross, if you will. The very first issue is the issue of love, loving other people. And so this morning we're going to continue studying this section in Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, which is all about the Christian's response to Christ, response to the gospel, the response of love. And so 9 to 21 is a series of commands. There's all kinds of commands. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. But the one thing that holds them all together, they're all enmeshed with a common theme. Somehow they're all related to love, doing something for the benefit of others. And the idea is having experienced the love of God in Christ and having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we now want to respond out of gratitude and we we, want to show love. We want to imitate God's kind of love, if you will, amongst ourselves as Christians. And so we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks. If you're just joining us, you'll be able to fit right in. But what we've already seen is we've seen a number of dimensions of love. We've seen, we've seen that it's to be genuine in verse 9. It's be, to be discerning in verse 9. Brotherly, verse 10. Competitive, as in we outdo one another, showing love and honor, verse 10. Uh, we've seen that it's centered on Christ in verse 11. We've seen that it's waiting for something, Christ's return and patience, verse Twelve, we've also seen it's a giving kind of love. And this morning, we're going to continue on the list, if you will. Let's look at more dimensions of our Christian responsibility to love now that we've been loved. Okay, we're not going to do these things to try to earn the favor of God. This is not just a to-do list. But having had the favor of God earned for us by Christ, having now become Christians by grace and only by grace. Now we do want to do the right thing. We want to love. We're supposed to love. And he's covering this in so many different ways. And so on my list here in dealing with verses 9 to 21, I'm on dimension number 8. But if this is your first Sunday joining us, um, you can just start with number 8 or you can number it number 1 and then we'll all be confused. Um, <laughs> So we'll just start with number eight. It might be your number one. Looking at the multifaceted, many dimensions of Christian love. Now that we've become Christians, assuming you are one, you may not be one, but if you're a Christian, now we want to act in a Christ-like way. It's a way to worship Christ because we're trying to imitate him having had salvation earned for us by Christ. So we'll look at a handful of these this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and start with number eight. Christian love or gospel love is blessing. Let's try to limit it to one word. It is blessing love. And look with verse. Look with me at verse fourteen, where it says, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them." And I can do that easily, provided this with sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I can give them a blessing, all right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this isn't easy. This is difficult stuff and, and uh, really difficult. I'm supposed to bless people who persecute me, and I'm supposed to bless and not curse them? Well, that's just not natural. In fact, that's not really even fair. Fair would be if they do it to me, I do it back to them. But here we are as Christians. We didn't receive what was fair. Fair for us would be we break God's laws. He says the wages of sin is death, and God condemns all of us. So having experienced not fairness or justice, having experienced God's amazing love, mercy, grace, we now need to be these kinds of people. And so when we're persecuted, we respond with blessing, not cursing. You'll probably find it interesting that word blessed there in the Greek New Testament is eulogeo, where we get our English word eulogy. What's a eulogy? A eulogy is typically what happens at a funeral. And I would like to preach the eulogy at some of my enemies' funerals. But, <laughs> sarcasm again. <laughs> the eulogy is when you speak well of someone, when a family member or a friend or friends or a pastor gets up and says, here, let's remember these great things that this person did in this life and wasn't, uh, weren't they, you know, great. You know what our job is now as Christians? Having experienced the grace and mercy of God, having experienced the love of God? When people oppose us, we eulogize them. We speak well of them. That's tough stuff. The only way this will ever make any sense to you is if you again have already bathed yourself by God's grace in the pool of the gospel. Having heard that God loved us when we weren't lovely, that Christ died for our sins when we were sinners, then we see that God loved us when we weren't lovely and now others aren't lovely to us And we don't give them payback. We give them blessing. Now, certainly in a practical sense, this doesn't mean when someone blasphemes Christ to you, you have to somehow compliment them on their blaspheming. Certainly, you would want to admonish. You would want to respond, to give a defense for the hope that is in you. But you can do that, and you can bless those who persecute you. I'm going to respond, and then I'm going to say, I don't know, I'm going to pray for wisdom, but maybe, you know, one thing I appreciate about you is something. Some of you are persecuted directly because of your union with Christ. This is for you. Some of you, some of you have a spouse that is all over you because you love Jesus Christ because he loved you first. And so, having experienced the love of God, you're trying to imitate that now. Now you're you're standing in the shadow of the cross. And you're trying to be Christ-like. And you're going to bless them even when they persecute you. This might happen in a classroom. If you're a professor or a student. It doesn't mean you can't give the truth. But as you're persecuted, you... Seek to bless and not return, quote-unquote, what we might call the favor. Jesus himself in Luke 23, 34 said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is not natural, right? But it is distinctly Christian. Matthew five forty-four. Jesus said very similarly, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I think if we're all honest, this does not make sense. This doesn't come naturally. The only way it's going to come is if we're thinking gospelly to make up a word. If we're thinking about God's love for us and how it wasn't merited. We didn't deserve it. In fact, we deserve judgment. Okay. I can bless those who persecute me just as Jesus did by the grace of God. Now, let's move on to another dimension of Christian love and light of the gospel. Christian love and light of the gospel is number nine, compassionate. It is compassionate. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. There's a better word than compassionate, but we don't use it very often, so I didn't lead with it. It's the word empathy. Empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's place. So, sitting in their seat, standing in their shoes. Christian love is empathetic. We show empathy. So here we are as the body of Christ. We're interacting with each other and we're called, because we're standing in the shadow of Calvary, to rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm supposed to rejoice with you if you're rejoicing. And I'm supposed to weep with you if you're weeping. This is how we interact with each other. We're empathetic. Hard word for me to say. We show empathy. Think about how this fleshes itself out. I know the verse well. I repeat it. You probably know it too. But think what it looks like for the glory of Christ. Think about what it looks like. For the glory of Christ at Omaha Bible Church, please think about what this looks like. You're rejoicing because you got a promotion at work. Or you're rejoicing because you got engaged. Or you're rejoicing because you got a scholarship. Or you're rejoicing because you sold your house or whatever it might be. Regardless of what my day has been like. Because maybe I just got the pink slip. As a Christian, I want to do my best to show empathy and say, Awesome. I'm so glad for you. Because I don't live just according to a selfish agenda anymore looking out for number one all the time. I'm actually showing a sacrificial kind of empathetic kind of love. That's how it looks like. Or the reverse would be true. You talk to someone and they get really bad news from the doctor about their son or daughter. And you just booked a cruise. And you're excited because circumstances in life ebb and flow in all different sorts of ways. Praise God for the cruise, but shut your mouth about the cruise, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, you're putting yourself in their shoes, in their position, and you're saying, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, we sang that song today, Give and Take Away. I don't know what the title is, but it's a song based upon Job 1. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a great, great song because it's a biblical song. Job loses everything and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Emphasis there on the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I'll tell you what. If you're the person that gets the bad news, I'm the ultimate in boneheads if I start preaching a sermon to you about the sovereignty of God in Job 1. Get it together, stop crying, would you? That's not Christian love. Not weeping with those who weep. Oh, there's a time and a place to talk about this reality. I want to talk about it and sing about it so it's so part of a fiber of your being that you do think like this, but still, let's weep because this is tragic and this is difficult, right? This is practical, helpful for us. We've experienced the love of God. He came here and became one of us for our benefit. So as I think about my relationship to you, you think about your relationship to me, we think about our relationship to each other. It's not always going to be perfect. I'm so glad that our salvation doesn't depend upon doing this perfectly. It isn't Christ. I'm just trying to think about the other person. People share good news with you. Try rejoicing with them share bad news with you, try weeping with them. There's a time and a place for everything. We would do well if we could do this. We would do very well. It's empathetic. It is compassionate. How are they feeling? And I want to sense a sense of how they are feeling. I don't think this is asking us to be fake. That wouldn't be good. It's to be genuine. It's to be without masks. We've talked about that. But you, you have a, a sense of, of compassion. By the way, this assumes we know something about each other. It assumes that you know, we don't just clock in and clock out. And, Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Sam. <laughs> There's some interaction. This is real. This really happens. All right, let's move on to another dimension of Christian love. In light of living in the shadow of Calvary, the gospel, uh, gospel love is harmonious. It is harmonious. It is harmony love. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Another translation translates it very literally. It says, be of the same mind. But harmony is the idea. We're to be of the same mind, living in harmony with our fellow Christians, no doubt, because he says, with one another. This shouldn't be hard. It is hard. It shouldn't be hard because we have the same God, same Savior, same Bible, same gospel, brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. It should be really easy to be of the same mind, have that kind of love, and we think the same. But we all know that it's not that easy. And yet Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So on a scale from 1 to 5, 5 being the worst and 1 being the best, how do Christians do? Probably not very good. I would suggest to you one of the reasons we don't do very well as Christians, I mean, people are supposed to say, wow, you know what? Pat must be a Christian. He must be a disciple of Jesus because he loves other Christians in an amazing way. We probably are closer to the 5 than the 1. If 5 is the worst. I would suggest to you because we don't really understand Romans 1 to 11. Gospel, gospel. God loved me first when I was unlovely. To be so blown away by that and to be so mesmerized by the reality of Christ's love for us when we didn't deserve it. And now I say, God, what do you want me to do in light of this? This is, amazing. This is good news. He says, Yeah, I know, I call it the gospel. This is so, how, what's a fitting response? I want you to imitate my kind of love with other people who've experienced my kind of love. Okay, easy. <laughs> it's not so easy. But how do we learn? How do we grow? We go back to the gospel like Paul's taking the Roman Christians back to the gospel again and again and again and again and again. John seventeen eleven. Jesus prays that they may be one even as we are one. How about that? Jesus prays for our unity, not unity over gospel compromise, not unity over the truth. He's not even talking about that. He's already established what the gospel is real clearly. Jesus wants us to get along. If I were you, if you're the kind of person that marks in your Bible, if you're not, I don't want to cause a weaker brother to stumble, have you violate your conscience. (laughs) But if you're that kind of person... You know, verse 16 would be a good one to highlight. Live in harmony with one another. That might be a good dog ear passage. Just take that page and bend it down. I'm going to recruit you to be a deputy. Uh, (laughs) I deputize you to be part of the uh, love police at Omaha Bible Church. It would be good if your Bible just fell open to this. And hopefully you'll do it in a loving way. There you go. Live in harmony with one another. Pat. Don't forget the gospel. Yeah, but you don't know what they said about Pat. Don't forget the gospel. Yeah, but I've about had enough. Pat, don't forget the gospel. Live in harmony with one another. This would be very helpful. Very helpful. And by the way, I just use myself as an illustration, so don't just apply this to me, okay? <laughs> I want to be part of this police force too. Let's get along. Not at the expense of the gospel. Not at the expense of truth, is really truth. He's going to deal with that in chapter 16, by the way. He's not just saying chuck all everything and, you know, in the name of love, which wouldn't even be love. Let's move on to another, an 11th dimension of this would be humility or humble. Gospel love is humble. Verse 16 says, do not be haughty. Not a word we use very often in modern day English. Do not be haughty or proud is the idea or arrogant, but literally it's high, but associate with the lowly. It's a good image. We, we've even seen throughout history and older times where you'd have royalty or you'd have a high-ranking officer and they would be up on their horse. Up on their what kind of horse? Up on their high horse. Not like the little people down here. Well, it's time to come down off of your high horse and just be one of the rest of us. Having experienced God's great, amazing love, we're not up on a pedestal. We're going to come down and be with everyone else. Years ago, in an Oscar speech, a composer said this, I was going to thank all the little people, but then I remembered, I am the little people. And uh, I think that's helpful. Come down. Now, let's get a little technical because it's of significance in understanding the passage and the flavor of it a little bit more, where he says, but associate with the lowly in verse 16. The word associate, uh, the Greek word that's translated associate is used two other times in the New Testament. Translated one time, led astray. This is fascinating. Another time it's translated carried away. All three times it's in the passive you're led astray, you're carried away. Those other two times, it's negative. You know, careful who you hang out with because they'll lead you astray kind of thing. Take that idea and concept and passive meaning back to our passage. Don't be haughty or high or arrogant, but associate. If you, Let me put it in the negative even though it doesn't mean to be negative, but be led astray with the lowly. <laughs> be carried away with the lowly. Idea, influenced by. Idea, you spend enough time off of your horse, down with the little people, because you are the little people, that you actually become like them. They influence you. Think about that. So you make a lot of money? Praise God. You spend enough time with people who don't make any money that they actually influence you. You have a lot of letters behind your name because you're so smart. Praise God for that. You spend enough time with people who are in the negative when it comes to letters behind their name enough that they influence you. Get off your high horse. Spend time with the people that you really are a part of. Because remember, we actually are equal in Christ. Remember, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter three, verse twenty eight. Even go back to Romans twelve three. He says it a little bit differently, but the same idea is involved in Romans twelve three. I love the way he says it, for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, this is for all Christians, here's here's an all points bulletin, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The idea, sober judgment. I think I probably said sober gospel judgment. I think I'm better than you. That comes naturally because I love myself. You think you're better than me. And we just tend to fall into that rut of thinking. And he says, hey, wait a minute, pal. (laughs) Think with sober judgment. Sober gospel judgment. You are under the wrath of God. Like everyone else. And God saved you. You are a part of the little people. (laughs) No matter how smart you are. Think with sober gospel judgment. Just to summarize it with a a big punch, just in case some of us are, are slow to learn, it says at 16, never be conceited. Never be conceited. Puffed up, thinking too highly of myself. Take it back to the gospel. When I don't think about Christ giving Himself for me undeservedly, it's easy for me to get conceited because of what I know, because of who I am. Maybe for you, because of what you make, the influence that you have, the clout, the experiences in life, your youth either end of the spectrum, your age or youth, better than other people. You go back to the gospel. No, we're all equally condemned apart from God's love. Okay, this is helpful. You say, Pat, is this all you ever talk about? Yes. Very predictable. Hmm, let's see. Do you think the pastor will talk about the gospel today? Well, by George. June, I think so. (laughs) It's a Christian church. It's the solution to this whole thing. Paul's a great example of this in Titus chapter 1. In Titus 1, he says this, verse 4, To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Which doesn't mean much of anything to us unless we stop and think about it. Paul, hybrid, high-ranking, educated Jew. Titus. Gentile, Jews called Gentiles, dogs. <laughs> what does he say? In light of the gospel, we're living in the shadow of Calvary. Titus, my true child, in the faith. You know what? That's scandalous. That is absolutely socially scandalous. But for us, living under the shadow of Calvary, to have that not be said is scandalous because it shows we don't get the gospel. We live in harmony. Not conceited, not puffed up, or humble. I don't know how this fleshes itself out in your life. Got a lot of different people at Omaha Bible Church, a lot of different people in Omaha, people that don't look like you do, People don't have the same education as you have. People that don't smell the same as you do. Harmonious. Off the horse. In the trench. We're the same. We're the same. I remember, this is not exactly related, but perhaps a little bit because it was shocking to me because it looks a little bit different in different cultures than it does here. Same reality no matter where you are, but I remember when Todd Swift and I were in Moscow. Moscow, as they say. We're in Moscow on our way to Siberia where they send criminals. The joke is, where do they send criminals who are criminals in Siberia? I don't know. And we go to McDonald's because we're Americans. Of course, we go to McDonald's. They wanted to take us there. The honest truth is we wanted to go to McDonald's by that point. So we go to McDonald's, and it was already a big scandal because I wanted to, you know, have it my way. (laughs) That's Burger King, but the same idea. I want, you know, two hamburgers, not cheeseburgers. I want two hamburgers with ketchup, mustard, pickle only. No onions. Pretty easy, right? This is... Russia. We don't do things like this. It's a kind of socialistic mindset. Everybody gets the same. I said, no, I don't want the same. <laughs> Ugly American, I know. So eventually I think I got what I wanted and, uh, and I'm trying to maybe try to fix it. And my mindset was, okay, we're done eating. So my little ketchups or whatever, and I'm getting everything cleaned up on the table and putting all my stuff together. And I pick up my tray and there's the tray thing that says, you know, push here so I'm on my way over there, and I about got tackled. You don't do that. It's our job. You don't do that. Now, again, maybe it doesn't fit exactly because it's more of a socialistic kind of mindset that I'm stealing their job, but I took it as, you know what? I was trying to, to, to show compassion and love and humility that I'm not above this. I'm not going to leave my trade there. It didn't work so well for me. Maybe a good illustration, maybe not. Point is, we're all the same. So we should act like we're all the same. It's Christianly to act like we're all the same. So we don't say, don't other people get paid to do that? Or don't other lesser people do that in the church? We maybe would never say it that way, but sometimes people act that way. It's just not christianly it doesn't make sense let's move on number 12 uh, gospel love is non-retaliatory it doesn't retaliate easier look what he says in verse 17 repay no one evil for evil repay no one evil for evil that's pretty tough in a sense, he's saying, don't seek justice. But there's something in us that wants justice. We're made in the image of God. And justice actually is an appeal th- appealing thing. When, when there's a, a law broken, then somehow there needs to be a fitting penalty. That's good. That's a good idea. But we're not perfect and righteous like God is. And here we're Christians who have not experienced the justice of God. And so he's telling us here to do something supernatural in light of the gospel. Repay no one evil for evil. In other words, don't give them what they deserve. In other words, don't return the favor which is hard, right? This is hard for me. I, I grew up in a home where my dad you know, liked the phrase, I didn't start the fight, but I'm going to what? I'm going to finish it. And uh, I think he meant it. We would go to basketball games. Remember, we would go to basketball games. My dad at nighttime, he, he, he would have his brass knuckles on his fist in his coat ready right he had a gun in his trunk there was no concealed carry he was one of these guys that yeah there's going to be two hits you know me hitting you and you hitting the floor yikes and everybody thinks their dad's the toughest the reality is mine was we can contest that, but I would like to see your dad's brass knuckles. My dad had two pair. <laughs> Real brass ones and aluminum. Anyway, <laughs> I'm still in counseling about all this. But uh, <laughs> but the reality is this isn't, this isn't unique to me because you're, you're wired the same way I am. There's a sense of justice, but there's also a fallenness, and you want to get your pound of flesh. And if someone does something wrong to you, you want to return the quote-unquote favor. But where we have to go is we have to keep going back to the gospel and the cross work of Christ and we offended God high-handedly. We committed spiritual treason and he didn't give us what we deserve. So now that we live in light of that, we're different kinds of people and so we now say repay no one evil for evil and even though that's still (laughs) really hard for me to do, It's now possible. It's possible because I've been amazed by the cross. It's possible because I have the Spirit of God indwelling me. It's possible. I've been transformed by God's grace and mercy. I need to now show God's grace and mercy. Going further, verse 17 says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So I don't want to return evil for evil. I actually want to do the right thing, so... Whoever's watching would say, you know what, that guy did the admirable thing. He did the honorable thing. He didn't stoop to that level. This is going to affect you in the way you do business, right? The way you engage people in the marketplace. It's going to affect you in sports. It certainly affects the way I drive. <laughs> Repay no one evil for evil. It does, right? It affects everything, but that's something I think of. I don't drive the way I used to. And some of you are thinking, well, I hate to see the way you used to drive because I saw the way you were driving in here this morning. Well, that's called progressive sanctification. <laughs> so, I don't drive the way I used to, but, you know, there's just something in me that I want to take somebody's head off if they do the wrong thing to me on the road. I'm not saying that's the only application. I'm just sharing with you my guilt. This is business, commerce, job, interaction. We, just, we act different because we've been given mercy. We don't do payback. Let's do one more. Gospel love is peaceable. Gospel love is peaceable. We'll do one more, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. Verse 18 says, if possible, I love the care and concern and the wisdom of this. This was not written by somebody who was a Christian for five minutes. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. It's very, very helpful, very, very good. He's not saying turn your brain off and let people walk all over you and don't pursue justice and don't pursue righteousness and don't do the right thing because you know what? You do nothing. No, but, but if possible, insofar as it depends upon you, seek peace with everybody. You, you, you can't do what God did. He established peace with us based solely entirely on what He did. But that means you of all people should have an understanding of how a one-way peace agreement does work. So you do your best to resolve the conflict. You don't just let it go. You try to do your best to resolve the conflict and then you say, I, I, I tried to try to pursue peace with everybody here. And again, you understand this whole peace thing. Romans chapter 5, you have peace with God. And you say, well, I'll pursue peace with that guy once they say they're sorry. You don't understand the gospel. <laughs> That's not how the gospel works. You're going to pursue the peace in so far as you possibly can so you can show Christian love. And again, you can apply this in different ways to all of life. My most recent challenge to this is in the realm of sports. And I'm thinking conviction wise in light of all this gospel saturated kind of thinking and studying and I've got this event and I've got this potential conflict with somebody and the rule book is on my side and I'm about ready to call down, you know, throw down the gauntlet. The law says. And I'm thinking, and I started pushing it by the way, going down that road, I'll confess. I thought, you know what, I need to act like a Christian here. And there's probably a peaceable way to get this resolved and to get this solved. And uh, I think it did get resolved. I'm sharing with you, I'm at least seeing some progressive sanctification in my life. Insofar as it is possible, our privilege as Christians who've received peace are seeking to be peacemakers and live differently. My last question is does this mean that we've been relegated to a life of being sissies? I mean is that really what God calls us to? You could read all this that way and you go man check your spine at the door. He's going to ask me to wear a pink sweater next week. Is that what is that the deal you know because after all jesus feathered his hair and uh you know couldn't handle sheep so he only played with little lambs and uh was a total mama's boy and had to get permission from her for everything and you know what man this christianity thing is us just basically being a bunch of sissies it's not the case it's not the case of, at all that's that's hallmark jesus maybe I probably just offended somebody else. (laughs) That's not who we see in the Bible. We see Jesus, our captain, as he's called in Hebrews, Jesus having all the power in the universe at his fingertips. But he loves us, and so he humbles himself to give himself for us. It's actually a powerful thing. Listen to what Jesus even said as he's there giving himself for us to be crucified. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Hello? You want 70,000-some angels to come upon you and rain fire on your heads, pal, (laughs) right? It could happen like that. He himself said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own volition. He did that for us, not because he is weak, but because he is strong. Mighty to save. We live in light of Calvary. And we try to be like Christ. And we try to keep it under control and give ourselves and show ourselves to be humble people because we have a great Savior. Don't forget that. Honor Christ with your love and humility And people will see and say, that person is a different person. How will they know they're my disciples? And they have love for one another. To the degree that we don't get that, and we, 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 meaning me, we don't get it, I do know the answer, and that's to keep going back to gospel kindergarten. And we need it so badly. Because that's actually where you go to get your gospel Ph.D. Because they're really the same. They're really the same. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together and looking at our responsibility to love, which is a fitting responsibility. It's a reasonable responsibility because of your great love for us. Uh, Lord, I know that there's a great potential that only part of what was said today is being heard. and. Perhaps uh, some are thinking we must do these things and then somehow you will accept us. Uh, Lord, please have that not be the case. Just make it crystal clear, if you make nothing else crystal clear to our minds and our hearts, that we are accepted by you because of the work of your Son. And now we desire as Christians to do what is honoring to you, which is to imitate your love out of gratitude. And so we do that. Lord, now as we have an opportunity to eat bread and drink wine as you yourself called us to do in remembrance of your great atoning work, your life-giving work, Lord, have this be a great time where we find ourselves rejoicing. May it be a reminder to us that indeed it is in Jesus where we find our rest, that we do come to you weary weary because of sin weary because of religious duty and responsibility weary even because of your good and holy law because we don't live up to its standards but we find rest in jesus who gave himself up for us and so lord remind us of the great rest that is ours even now as we eat and as we drink in jesus name amen